Okay, cool. All right, so we have uh, Moita Chacha here, the founder at Mwendo. Uh, Moita, thanks for being here. Thanks, Jordan, for having me. Yeah, man, we uh, we have known each other for a while. We I think we are, we were on the same soccer team at one point. Um, but for those who don't know you or don't have any context, give us a little, you know, three to five minute intro or go as long as you'd like, kind of who you are, what you're about, what you've been up to. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I guess we go, we go back to same, same hometown. Uh, but since college, I jumped right into launching my own production company. I had always had this, uh, vision for wanting to be able to, you know, tell stories that about different cultures and experiences that I felt like we weren't, uh, seeing in film and also to be able to have an impact kind of through my art, uh, by working with whether it's different organizations, um, nonprofits, uh, to be able to help them tell their story. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of freelance work throughout high school and college, but made that jump, um, right after college, got married, started a business, and uh now we're we're 10 years in and uh things are still going <laughs> nice with uh with window did it you you had this conception way ahead of time or like in college like right as a graduate i'm going to launch this business or or was it just kind of did you did you even browse around in the corporate world or the nine to five world before saying hey uh i think i can do this on my own it's kind of weird that i didn't really have the thought until um a friend suggested it to me right as i was about to graduate um but i had been freelancing and doing a lot of video work uh for years and i was going to school for business so i had this idea that i was going to start a company or kind of be in the corporate world um but i don't know for some reason those two things didn't click together or at least the thought that i could run my own business until it was a a friend of mine who ran an agency, a publishing agency, and uh, needed some work for his clients. And he was like, hey, man, I think you should start this. Let me just start sending you a bunch of work. I'll give you the advice on how to get everything set up. And that's really what gave me the confidence that uh, he was able to send me my you know, first several months of, of client work. Nice. Okay. Because you, because my window, it's a, how do you consider it? It's a, do you just say it's a video production company or do you say it's a marketing agency? I, th- I think all our, all our, the semantics have changed over the years with uh, with how filmmakers, what they call themselves. Yeah, I think depending on who I talk to, it probably, you know, you use the, whatever the marketing speak or the angle is describe it but at the core it's it's video production uh i tend to do a lot of work for other either larger marketing agencies or working with marketing departments so uh but we certainly offer that strategy but at the end of the day uh core services is content storytelling so nice so kind of how we you and i reconnected was our I'm trying to think it was around maybe 2015, 2016, and maybe 2017 as well. But uh, we were both kind of in the wedding videography space. Uh, I did some second shooting for you at one point. Uh, and you no longer, with my window, you no longer have the, the wedding aspect. And the kind of main pillar is your documentary commercial marketing content. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you kind of stepped into the wedding world as a wedding cinematographer was it was it something was it more from not to say strictly business or strictly from a money aspect or did you see that opportunity there or was it something that 
uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just back it up. What kind of got, what was your foray into the wedding cinematography videography world? So for me, it was, uh, seeing a friend of mine, um, I was sharing studio space. I was in Lynchburg, Virginia at the time, um, with some other creatives, uh, and, Really, these guys taught me everything. Uh, one guy did a ton of commercial work. I learned from him. Another guy did a lot of animation. Uh, but then there was another guy who did a lot of documentary and cinematic wedding films. And he was the first person. He opened up my eyes to like what was possible in wedding filmmaking, that it could be an art, could be cinematic, and not, you know, this, you know, what you have in mind when you like think about your your parents wedding films and so i had all of these skills from doing all this travel filmmaking i've you know traveled to a, a lot of developing countries telling stories for nonprofits so getting in there with a small crew working with natural light and working fast and i realized all of those same skills could translate over into wedding film and i liked how i don't know they like the system was very attractive to me is like figuring out how to tell the ultimate wedding film, assemble the crew using that same equipment I already used and really hone my storytelling craft. I feel like the work I did on weddings actually helped me become a better documentary filmmaker and commercial filmmaker. Uh, so yeah, the regular income was very attractive, um, but just there was there was a great creative output there. Like I truly enjoyed it during the season I was doing it. So mm-hmm. yeah, because it, it's basically a, a one day documentary. Like you had, there are no redos. It's just this is the only day that you have to shoot this and try to make a story from it. Yeah, and I find like that same thing is what broke many people from like wanting to be able to take it on and attempt it. And you know, many other people I asked if they were interested in it. Hey, come shoot for us. Check this out. And that pressure uh, could be very intimidating to some people. But it, I always, it was kind of like, it was the challenge of figuring out, well, how can we do this and make this the most fun experience, least stressful experience possible. And part of that was just pulling together the right team and setting up the right redundancies with people, equipment and and audio so that that fear, uh, you know, no longer had to had to be there. Yeah, when I when I worked for you that one time, it was it felt very different than when I'd worked with other wedding videographers. And you were like, give me a I could describe your process, but describe for me your kind of prep process or how going into a wedding, the typical team, because when I was shooting for you at that one time, I think it was there were three of us. It was your brother. It was you. And then I was the kind of third shooter for you. And that I'd never seen. I'd never seen a three-man video team. Yeah, give me kind of like what is your what was your process in prepping for a wedding, or um, what did you do that was different from the kind of standard, you know, fat guy with a camera and on a tripod in the back of the church kind of approach? Right. Uh, yeah. So I think I think it was just realizing that all right, you have a a bride. Very important things are happening with her. You have a groom, important things are happening with him in a totally different location. And then we have the ceremony and we have the location. And so even though it is possible to tell that story with less people, 
we found freedom and creativity of not having to run around all stressed out. And sometimes people were intimidated by the sound of three people coming, but we actually were so well coordinated. We didn't have to like, we didn't all shoot the exact same thing at the same time. So that enabled us to have one person dedicated to being with the bride and actually let those moments unveil themselves and not be stressed about the schedule. One person with the groom and then the other person go and capture the location and then go set up audio at, uh, you know, at the uh, ceremony location and then head on to the reception area and set up there. And so we all had our very specific pieces for the film. Uh, we all we broke out, we got our pieces and then you bring them all together in the edit. But uh, we weren't all three like getting three angles of the exact same thing. Um, and so knowing that people were having these multi location wedding films, we didn't feel like it was their place to like have to make that decision. How many you know filmmakers should we pay for? You know, we felt every film deserved the three for the style of filmmaking we wanted to create. And that was a way that was going to be sustainable and we could truly be creative and actually have downtime in what is, you know, relatively uh, crazy, stressful day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because with a three man team, there is because with any wedding, even if you're shooting it by yourself or with two people or three people, that there is there is kind of a hurry up and wait aspect to it where nothing is happening for quite a while. And if you're if you're a filmmaker, you're you know, you can't just film nothing happening. So you're you're there to film the things happening with a photographer. You could maybe make something that's not really anything, turn it into something. Uh, it's just a still image. Um, but yeah, with separating everything, having that time where you can wait and let the moment naturally unfold, I think could make for, yeah, it can make for like a more natural moment on camera as opposed to if it was just you or just you and a, a second shooter that you had to immediately shoot it at that moment because if you don't get it in this 30 minute window, you got to go to the church, you got to go set up your tripods over there, you don't have time. It's either this moment, quote unquote, happens now or it doesn't happen at all. Yeah. And that was our goal is to let those moments be authentic and not approach it like a commercial and tell people, oh, you need to do this again. Or you guys are going to have to hurry up because we only have this much time on the schedule. And it's like, whoa, 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 this is this is their day. We need to figure out what we can do to be there at the right moment and not be there controlling the day. Um, yeah, that was really our goal at the end of it. I'm going to bring it back to maybe the theme of this podcast and give some wedding photographers out there some kind of perspective. Working with wedding photographers as the videographer, give us your give us your perspective. I've I've ranted before about the relationship between a videographer and a photographer, but what what is your perspective going into a wedding? Because uh, you're kind of you are dealing with the client and you're also dealing with the photographer and the planner. So there's a kind of like this weird triangle that the videographer has to kind of fit into. How do you how did you approach it? What, what was your kind of your mindset with it? So we kind of saw ourselves. You know, we took we took the approach that we were the least important people there. And I think <laughs> I think that's when people get into trouble is when a filmmaker thinks that it's all about the film and we need to do whatever it takes. Screw all the other, you know, uh, wedding <laughs> wedding vendors there. We're going to go get what we need. Um, totally a wrong approach. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, the client, the couple is the client. 
But we always knew that if we wanted to continue to work in the industry, the wedding planners were the gatekeepers. A lot of times it was the planners that were referring us or photographers referring us because we were usually the last people booked because cinematic wedding film is such a new industry. People knew the importance of a of a venue, of a of a planner, of a photographer, but good filmmaking is kind of I feel like it's on the rise as an industry. So we just wanted to treat everyone very respectfully. And so because of that, we'd take the extra time to call people ahead of time, what to expect when working with us, letting them know that we are prepared, we're not going to be stressed out, but we would like to work alongside you behind the scenes. Um, And so not asking them to go out of the way other than when working with a photographer, we'd be like, hey, you know, we would like to be able to capture some shots of the couple at the shoot. We would love to let you lead it. We'll get we'll come with long lenses. We'll be able to shoot around you while you're working and then maybe request, you know, a couple shots here and there in between your stuff to be able to have you take a step back, change lenses and let's get up, you know, some shots that look well with motion. So let's have the couple walking from this from this portrait location to this portrait location and, uh, you know, take that time um, to work in the stuff that we need, but never dominating the shoot. Um, unless we found a photographer that wasn't comfortable with that and we needed to carve out our own time, which we didn't feel was like fair to the couple to have to do everything twice, but we could work with that and communicate with the couple if that was what it took to be able to work with a certain photographer. I always remember seeing the timelines. It'd be like photography shoot 30 minutes, videographer shoot five minutes. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, well, what about, um, you know, I think, I think that's the totally right approach, like communicate over communicate at first to them. What would you do or, or how did you approach when you could tell that the photographer was a little bit stressed out or that they were, I, I don't know what the look, I, you know, the look when you see it, when they feel stressed out or they feel like they're not getting the shots and, and, but, mm-hmm. and how do you say like, okay, Hey, I still need to get my shots or, um, or even when a photographer blows your shot on purpose because they are feeling the stress themselves that they need to perform as a wedding photographer. Is it, is it a side conversation? Is it just let it go? Is it, yeah, because yeah. Yeah, how do you approach it? I, I still to this day don't know how I would approach it. There's a couple things going on there. Um, number one is, uh, oh, we always assessed after each experience. What could we do better? How did we end up in this place? What could we have communicated better beforehand? Um, and then we also just found that naturally at certain price points, you work with more experienced people who are more accustomed to working with other people. So that's something we found naturally of just raising our prices and doing better work. We found that we worked with more professional people who were also just cooler with being collaborative and working with people in the industry because we know, hey, we might bump into you again six months later. So let's all be professional about this and talk about finding a way to work it together uh, so that the client's happy at the end. 
However, we do still found ourselves occasionally in circumstances where we rubbed people the wrong way or they were intimidated by how many people were there or the day is just not going great for them. They were ill prepared and now they're stressed about it and need to take it out on somebody. They can't take it out on the couple. uh, So they're going to take it out on us. And part of that uh, was the help of knowing that we always under promise to our clients. So even if we needed to create a five minute film, uh, we'd have three people there and know that we'd have plenty of content. So even if the portrait sessions go horribly, we've got a filmmaker that is taking in the location. We've recorded little voiceovers of the letters they've written to each other. We've got them saying their vows at the ceremony. We've got their first dance. And so we know that if the portrait session, which is kind of the most collaborative part with the photographer, if it doesn't pan out, we know we can still make a film. It won't be the ultimate film we wanted to create, but we still know we can create something that looks good and the client probably won't notice um, the difference. And so in those moments, you know, try and find them find a way to pull the photographer aside, say, hey, we don't want to get in your way. What's the best way we can work through this together? And for the most part, that works. But we have had a few stories where we've had photographers just get completely aggressive and want to shut down what we're doing. Um, And that's where it just helps to keep a cool head uh, and know that at the end of the day, we've done everything we can do to create a good film and it will turn out. This is (laughs) if you just want a crazy story, this has nothing to do with the um, the a photographer per se, but just wedding drama that uh, still turned out in the end because we took we always have redundancies. Um, uh, Yeah, I I could jump into this story. Yeah, let's hear it. Pretty, pretty wild. So what was it? The planner and the DJ were related. And the photographer and the planner were not getting together at all. So they got into an argument. I don't know what was going on. I think, you know, either the planner wasn't keeping things on schedule or the photographer was taking too long going over schedule for whatever it was. They were not getting along and they were not being professional about this. So the photographer goes to the DJ and just complains says all this crap about the planner. The DJ was the planner's son. So he took offense to that, of course. And um, he thought that us as the filmmakers, we were, he thought we were with the photographer. We had nothing to do with the photographer, but he just lumped us in this that same group. And so when the toast came, he just straight up pulled our, <laughs> our mic, our, uh, our recorder out of the... Um, out of his board. He's like, all right, you guys are going to be like that. You know, I'm going to screw up your film. And he just straight up pulled audio out. Didn't tell us. Uh, But fortunately, we actually placed multiple mics during the day. And so we had a mic uh, hanging out in front of his speaker that was capturing it. And then we also uh, directly mic the people giving the speech. And so he didn't know that we had these backups, fortunately, and it still panned out. So that's the value of redundancy that we can still keep a cool head. But just, yeah, that was someone taking it to the extreme and just all of this infighting. And at the end of the day, you know, it's the client who's going to lose. Yeah, we got to we got to get over ourselves. But 
Uh, okay, so, so Moita, like with, uh, I guess we can back up a little bit from just, you know, the day of filmmaking. What about kind of the, some business tips that you learned from running, you know, because I'm sure there's tons of overlap between a videographer and a photographer. Like what are some wedding business tips that you learned? So I think for us, one of the biggest things was actually treating the wedding planners as our clients, even though they weren't. Um, directly our client, they weren't the ones who were paying us, but we knew that they were gatekeepers. They were the ones getting hired before us and they had the power to make recommendations. So we felt if we could tackle this stuff in a way, we'd come with our own schedules, so prepared, never ask questions, always be at the right place at the right time and know that we weren't going to say anything stupid to embarrass ourselves or embarrass uh, you know, the couple that they could actually be our true key to success. So we got to the point where we stopped paying for, you know, any advertising. Um, and we weren't even really getting a huge amount of referrals from one client to the next. That happened occasionally. But for us, when we were at our peak, we got in with some really high-end planners and they just loved us for showing up and doing the job, looking good while doing it. And they didn't care what our film looked like. I mean, there's a certain threshold where, you know, it can't be horrible or they weren't going to recommend us, but they just, man, like we had one planner who would give us over seven wedding films a year. And so we truly treated them like the client uh, because we knew we could keep seeing them again and again where, you know, wedding client, um, you know, isn't, isn't like that. It's not like a commercial client. This is a one and done deal. So we really had success in treating them well, taking them out for coffee, asking them how we could do a better job, um, writing handwritten letters at the end of each season, um, sending gifts and really building those vendor relationships. Uh, that's, that's how we built our referrals is through them. And it takes a while. Um, it's, you know, it's not instant, but in the long run, it truly ended up being less, less work. Uh, just being a cool person to, to shoot on a pretty stressful day with just be cool to be with. Did you ever kind of make those recommendations from those vendors public or, or did you ever try to turn into a, a testimonial or try to get uh, like a good review from them and put it on your website or, or did you just see that as like, let's just keep it an internal friendly connection? We did more internal, like sending emails before and after. Uh, I think, you know, through some of those sites like uh, The Knot, you can maybe make public recommendations back and forth. Um, we would go above and beyond on our when sharing films on Facebook or on our blog uh, to call out everyone, you know, mm -hmm. tag them and say, you know, it was a pleasure to work with them. Check these guys out. We love working with them. Um, and so we would praise them publicly, but we didn't really seek that out. Um, if someone did say something nice, we'd say, oh, hey, can we take that quote and put it on our on our blog or I think in our in our packages, we had a few quotes. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but really we just, we went more for the relationship than the, than the public, uh, thing, because I feel like so many people can get those. And so many people have so many reviews and we honestly didn't have a ton of online five-star reviews. Uh, but the working planners knew us and loved us. And so when it came down to, they got hired, their clients thinking about, oh, should we hire a videographer or not? Uh, you know, you know, who's going to come to mind. That's what we felt was the most important. Let me switch it over to now because we are, you've, you've shut down the, the wedding aspect of your business and you've kind of, you're making sort of a, you told me before the podcast that this is an experiment that you're trying. Um, but I'll cue you up a little bit with this year. You started a, what's called motivated mornings and give it, give me kind of a little context of what motivated mornings is. Um, and we're going to dive into that. Yeah. So motivated mornings was born out of COVID. Um, when immediately a lot of our travel gigs were shut down, uh, we had all of this extra time. And so I reached out to some other filmmaker friends of mine, uh, specifically one, Justin, my co-founder at Motivated Mornings. And we had always had these passion projects, these scripts we wanted to write, um, whatever else it was, books, things. And we were like, all right, so it's COVID, but we want to be able to continue to move forward creatively. This is actually an opportunity, uh, but we are lacking motivation. So it just started with me and a friend saying, hey, why don't we wake up every day, 7 a.m., and just say, this is what we hope to accomplish and work on it for two hours before we kind of get into working on our businesses and stuff. Let's move forward something creatively. And it was really exciting during a time that it felt like there was, you know, a lot to complain about, a lot to fear about, and business certainly went down, but we were able to continue to create and get that creative outlet and work towards something that we believe, you know, these projects will pay off eventually, you know, we'll be able to pitch them. But at the end of the day, it just felt good to make something. And so... Uh, my buddy Justin and I kept doing that together. Then we invited other filmmakers and then we actually invited entrepreneurs and uh, all kinds of creative authors, whatever, and just kind of opened it up because we figured, well, everyone during this time could use a little motivation and accountability to wake up and work on something that was important to them. And so Justin and I founded Motivated Mornings and we've got right now a 5 a.m. and a 9 a.m. crew, uh, East Coast. Some people are joining uh, from other time zones, uh, the 9 a.m. But yeah, it's just kind of this experiment. It might turn into a sustainable business. Uh, but the, at the end of the day, we've got um, people that are waking up every day committing to work on what they're passionate about. And that's that's really exciting to us. And we're still working on the things we're passionate about, but we have friends there and we're doing it together and kind of creating that that strength that comes from community. During a time, of course, where we're super separated and back working out of our home offices. Give me kind of a sense of, not the sales pitch, but like, or kind of what it is that it's a, how, how would you describe it? It's a community. It is, everyone is kind of hopping on a Zoom call and you do either a, a message in the morning or, or how, do, uh, how does it kind of break down once you kind of join and become a member? Yeah. So we have what we call a morning kickoff every day. So no matter what time slot you choose, say you join 9 a.m. Eastern, um, 
then we have a host that's going to kick us off on Monday, give us a short pre-recorded video, uh, usually from, uh, you know, kind of an inspirational or motivational figure that'll just give us a thought for the week. So what does it mean to be proactive versus reactive? Or how do we set smart goals? Just short two minutes of inspiration. And then we go into breakout rooms and uh, with our small group for the week of like six people or so, we just tell everyone, this is what I hope to accomplish in the next hour or two. And then we go do it. Uh, and then we recap at the end and uh, we have a Slack community where we can engage with other people, share work if there's other writers we want to share work with. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's kind of this belief that we all have enough knowledge. So we'll just give little reminders. This isn't about learning how to be productive. This is about actually just setting aside the time to do something because we procrastinate so much. Uh, there's so many reasons we don't work on stuff. And some of it is just we keep reading and preparing and, and I need to join another class. And it's like, no, you just you just need to get started. And so you need a friend there, you know, like a gym buddy that's, you know, they're going to be there at 9 a.m. You show up at 9 a.m., have a little five minute wake up, and then you go do the thing that you said you're going to do. It's this sort of digital accountability and setting an intention of what you want to do. Yeah, for us, we find it's filling a space of like, I used to go to a co-working office. My buddy used to go to a coffee shop. So it's kind of like this mix of virtual co-working as well. We all have our webcams into our home offices and we just go on mute and work together. And so there's still this sense of, of seeing people, even though we're, you know, separated. I'll call it, you know, almost in startup land where it is a totally new business, totally new concept. How are you kind of in it? And with that, I'm sure there comes this aspect of you're kind of making it up on the fly or you're um, or you're discovering new features or getting feedback from customers. How are you kind of putting those new innovations? How are you getting feedback? How are you kind of building that loop in the business to figure out what works and what doesn't? You know, we started with a close group of friends and, and family, and we're just constantly getting feedback and seeing what what's working for people. Um, that's kind of what the phase we feel like we're in is it's evolving because, and also we're finding different people connecting with it that than we thought, you know, we're imagining ourselves, we built this thing for ourselves, but now totally different people are being attracted to it and uh, using it in their own way. And so we're just through conversation at this point, just being like, hey, you've been with us for a week or a month. And it's like, what do you like about it? And we've been tweaking, uh, I guess it was, you know, first version of this has been since the summer. So it's been over six months and it looks totally different now. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about that evolution. What, going in, in the summer, what was your, you know, cause I think there's a, with business owners, there's this sense of like, I know what my customers want, or I know what these people will like. And then you go out and put that in front of the world. What was that initial thought? Like, I, I think this is what people will like versus the random discovery that you had leading up to now. A lot of it has to do with how much how much people want to talk and how much uh, how much especially in the morning time it's like do we want to talk for fifteen minutes or do we just want to have like an inspirational quote and get started uh, that kind of stuff 
Uh, and then at first we weren't really creating a business. We were just, it was just a club with our friends and it was specifically writers, screenwriters, um, all working on their own films. And so really the big evolution is, it has been like, how do we take this to a broader audience? Um, and what are the things that appeal to everyone? Not just, uh, not just filmmakers. Major question I wanted to ask was coming from window being a filmmaker making documentaries and then now saying i want to be a you know a community manager or you know this kind of curator of experiences how did you how do you kind of make that leap or how do you kind of how do you kind of bring that credibility over or do you bring your old clients over to the work to this world now or do you just have to start from scratch with something like this i feel like my community of peers and other entrepreneurs uh, less of my clients have been who we've been able to bring over. This is much more. The other thing is, you know, with Mundo, we're seeking projects for thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. And now this is, you know, very consumer focused product, a subscription. And I think the big thing is that I feel like a lot less of the skills, you know, transfer, they, you know, than you would think. Uh, it's just a totally different approach. And so we're having to rethink marketing and also just realizing how much work, so much more work than you think. But I think in the long run, the long game is it's also much more scalable than, um, you know, the work uh, that we do, the commercial work that we do, because theoretically, like thousands and tens of thousands of people could show up for this thing. And we figured out a system that it doesn't create that much, you know, that uh, percentage more work when each person signs up. So it's very scalable, but it's it's a lot more work, I would say, um, or just a different type of work than going after commercial clients. A year from now, two years from now, we're having the same conversation with Motivated Mornings, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of what I've seen uh, people create in that group. I'm most proud of uh, the fact that I wrote my first 56-page um, script after talking about wanting to do something like that for years. And I was actually able to write it um, in the course of two months. Um, I'm proud of some of the new people that have signed up that have had social anxiety because of COVID and just completely demotivated and depressed. And now all of a sudden they have a community and they finish projects that they've been said they've been talking about completing for months and months. And it just took, you know, two, three weeks of sitting down and dedicating the time and they finished it. Um, and then I know an author that has been talking about writing a book for years and gave up on it because it was such a lonely process. And now we have all these authors there and the book is actually back on schedule, like called back the publisher. We have a plan for this thing. It's coming out. And so to have something out there in the world that, you know, you talk about and you dream about, but then it actually gets done. Like that's the most fulfilling, whether this, whether Motivated Mornings uh, takes off and becomes a huge brand or it dies, like creative dreams are now out there in the world uh, already during the time it's been there. And so that's that's what I'm most proud of. All right. Uh, so, Moita, where can we where can we find your work or where can we find more about Motivated Mornings? Uh, you know, plug away, my friend. 
<laughs> Thanks. So uh, my commercial website is mwendo.co, M-W-E-N-D-O.co, uh, motivatedmornings.work. And then I also just have a personal blog and newsletter, Muita Chacha, M-W-I-T-A-C-H-A-C-H-A.com. And that actually has the links out to Motivated Mornings to my commercial work and a newsletter. I feel like that's the best way to keep in touch. I've slowed down on social media. Just every month I send out a newsletter of recommended films that I love, um, cool articles I've read. And so I usually use uh, email as a way to just plug cool things I've seen that hopefully add value to your life and will drop in updates with me as they come. Perfect. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you, man.